Welcome to the EO Smith Sports Talk Podcast. And now, here's your host, Brendan Rader. All right, welcome in episode 20 of the EO Smith Sports Talk Podcast. We're going to talk some NFL, some March Madness, and our weekly soccer. We'll start first with the NFL, as always. I'm joined by Alex, Leon, Parker, and Nolan. Um, and the NFL world kind of stirred up by two crazy trades of the draft. The 49ers move up from number 12 to number 3. They give up three firsts, including that 12th overall and a third. The Eagles drop back from 6 to 12. They get a future first and third. And then the Dolphins jump back from 3 to 6 and pick up a future first. Um, and the, the big surprise, right, is the 49ers move up seemingly to get their future quarterback. So, Alex, if you're the 49ers, First off, do you take Trey Lance, Justin Fields, or Mac Jones, assuming Zach Wilson and Lawrence are the first two picks? Um, and then what do you think they'll do? Um, if if I'm the 49ers, I'm taking probably Fields. I like Fields. I like his mobility. And I'd like to see what Kyle Shanahan does with a mobile quarterback. We've seen him as a coordinator uh, with Matt Ryan, and we've seen him as a head coach with Jimmy Garoppolo. I'm curious to see how he um, would – tailor his offense to a guy who can run around uh who does have mobility and who has a great arm attached to that uh that's who i would take that's what i'd be most interested to see if they take uh and then i think they'll probably end up taking i don't know it's tough because i feel like mac jones fits the stereotypical kyle shannon quarterback a guy who can just kind of sit back hand the ball off and and pocket pass effectively um but i don't really know if that's a guy you're going to take at number three or would even trade up to get at number three. And if they do end up taking Mac Jones at three, I think that's a stupid move to give up all the first round picks that they did to go up and get him. Yeah, I agree. I think, you know, I think Mac Jones might be a good fit in a Kyle Shanahan offense. Um, but again, they gave up a lot of picks to move up to number three. And I mean, Mac Jones might not be the quarterback that you take third overall in the draft. So I agree. I think Justin Fields should be who they take. I'd be very interested to see, um, fields run that offense i'd like to see what kyle shanahan would do with them um but i i do think that mac jones might be a better fit i think kyle shanahan is more used to you know uh running an offense around a quarterback like mac jones i think mac jones out of you know justin fields or mac jones i think mac jones is more fit to be an nfl quarterback at this point uh just from what you know we've seen with past guys like dwayne haskins coming out of uh, ohio state but i think justin fields should go number three to the 49ers I think they should take Mac Jones. I also think he's the best fit, but I think they will take Trey Lance. I think they'll take Mac Jones. The narrative is that Kyle Shanahan loves a pocket passer, and he loves Mac Jones. And I believe if you love the guy that you want, you, you'll go up and get them. And I believe that's their guy, and I think Mac Jones will be selected third. Yeah, no one raises a good point that, right, it seems like Mac Jones is the best fit. There's a lot of rumors that's the guy they're going up to get. At the same time, though, you look at – all of this buzz was that, you know, Fields and Lance were going to be the third and fourth quarterbacks. How far is Mac Jones going to fall? Is he going to fall to the Patriots at 15? So when you're talking about Mac Jones falling out of the top 10 and you're the Niners sitting there at 12, was it really worth giving up three first and a third round pick to move up to go get Mac Jones if he could have fallen? Or, you know, could they have moved up to the sixth pick or the seventh pick from the Lions? And then know that Mac Jones is going to fall there. In my opinion, it tells me that there's buzz around these around league circles that Mac Jones was going to, you know, jump ahead of Lance and field and go forth to the Falcons or something like that. Something where the 49ers felt they had to jump all the way up to three to get Mac Jones. That was definitely surprising if to me. If you want a guy in the draft, 
you're not just going to say, oh, well, my pick is too late. I'm not going to get him. You're going to try your hardest to get the guy that you want. And if trading up right. that far means they're going to get the guy they want, then they're going to do that. If he, if they yeah, leave the best guy, then it's worth getting up that far. I agree. But don't you think if Mac Jones could have – don't you think it was expected that Mac Jones would be there at six per se? Couldn't they have traded with the Eagles and gone to six, given up maybe a first and a third instead of three firsts and a third? Um, they move all the way up there to the third pick to get Mac Jones. If Mac Jones could have fallen further then like you want to save those first round picks. I mean, they've given up a lot of their future to go get a rookie quarterback. What if he didn't though? What if he didn't, then you lose the guy that you really right. want. I agree. I agree. If they have their eyes set on Mac Jones and they didn't think he was going to get there to six, it's a good move. But at the same time, they're leveraging a lot of their future. They're in a win now mode. So I, I like it. But at the same time, if you're going for Lance, I mean, you've got to develop him. Field sounds like he has, you know, he he gets stuck on his first read. Sounds like there's problems with him. So yeah, Mac Jones may be the best fit for them, but they need to win now before guys like Bosa get paid, Kittle's getting up in age. I mean, they've got to win now with this roster and that defense. Um, let's look at it from the Dolphins side though, right? They jump back from three to six. They kind of stay in that range where all of the receiving options will be there unless the Bengals decide to take one, maybe Kyle Pitts. Alex, if you see all four of those guys, Pitts, um, Smith, Chase, and Waddle, which would you prefer for the Dolphins? For the Dolphins, I think, I think I'm going to go with Jalen Waddle. Um, I think that he's got that connection with Tua, and I think that's important. You get a guy that Tua is familiar with, familiar throwing the ball to. He's lightning fast. He's a great route runner, not as good as Smith in my opinion, and he's coming off that injury. But I think Waddle definitely has the potential to be the best receiver in this class. And it's a great move, in my opinion, for the Dolphins. Go get a guy too is familiar with him. They he's thrown to him for however many years at Alabama. Um, lightning fast, like I mentioned, route runner, speedy, can run every route you ask him to run. Uh, that's my guy, I think. If Pitts falls to six in the draft, there's no question the Dolphins should take Pitts because I think he's just overall a better pick. He's going to be a better fit, a better player than all of those receivers because he's a tight end and technically he has the receiver build at tight end. He's kind of like a Darren Waller, but quicker, maybe a little less stronger. But I think there's no question if you get Pitts at six, which I don't think they will. It depends how many of these quarterbacks go. I think they should definitely take Pitts. Well, I I think – you got picks one, two, three, and four are probably going to be quarterback. And then five is the Bengals. So they're either taking chase there. I mean, if they're going to take any receiver, it's going to be chase because they, they're going to want that burrow to chase connection. I've and, heard a lot of pits talk at number five there to the Bengals. I think it's between pits and Sewell. Personally. I see what you're saying in chase. No but we've got, no, no, no. Got, I, I think, I think the, the Bengals love Joe burrow. And I think Joe burrow loves Jamar chase. And I think the Bengals say, okay, we want to make our QB happy. Let's go to get a guy that he's familiar with and a guy that he had a ton of success. I mean, that was the best connection in college when Burrow was thrown to chase. Like, they're right. even better than this year's Mac Jones to Devontae Smith or Mac Jones to Jalen Waddell or Kyle Trask to Kyle Pitts. I mean, Burrow to Chase was the best connection in college we've seen in, in at least recent memory. I think you go out and get that and pair them in the NFL. I see what you're saying. I think they just like Tyler Boyd and Auden Tate and T Higgins who they got last year. They don't have anything at the tight end position. Um, and, and really Kyle Pitts is just generational talent. Can you, he can play receiver. He can play tight end. It seems like that would be a good fit for the Bengals offense. I still think the best pick for the Bengals though is uh, Penn AC. Well, I mean, they need some pr- protection for Burrow. Uh, they've got the you know weapons at wide receiver. Um, like you said, yeah. I think the best pick for them is Sewell. 
I think they have to protect Burrow, and I think that would be the best pick as well. Because I agree, but you can't pass up on a guy like Pitts. How rare is it for you to see that athletic of a tight end, a guy in the top five in the draft? I just think if it comes to me and I have the option to pick Kyle Pitts, I'm picking him because we know he's the one guy in this class that we know will be a generational talent year one, his rookie year. But but just look at Penny Sewell. I mean, there was rumors he would be the first overall pick, him and Trevor Lawrence competing for the first overall pick, you know, just last year. I mean, he's a generational tackle in most people's opinions. You don't get those very often either. I mean, you look at Trent Williams, yeah. he's 33 years old and he just got a six-year contract worth $23 million per year. So if you're the Bengals and you have a guy in Penny Sewell who you think is a Trent Williams-esque tackle, like you can't pass up on him either. So I think, you know, they probably can't go wrong. But both of these players could be generational talents. The Bengals are in a spot because I think their O-line is not good enough to make a playoff push. But I also think their receivers and their weapons are not good enough to make a playoff push. So I yeah. think it's well, whatever you take, you're going to improve your team. Yeah. They have multiple I just think to fill. they could go either way and it could help them out. Yeah, I, I'd say I'd say if I'm the Bengals here, just with this conversation going on, I think you take Sewell at one because there's not a lot of great tackle talent in this draft. And receivers are always, it's always going to be relatively deep. I mean, there's a ton of talent at receiver every single year, at least there has been in recent years. So why not get Sewell round one and then maybe trade up from wherever you are in, in early round two to late round one, or just wait until early round two to pick yeah. another receiver who's going to be pretty good. He's not going to be a chase or a pits or, um, you know, whoever you want to pick there, but he's still going to be relatively good uh, and, and effective. I mean, yeah. And my thing is just not letting Joe Burrow get hit again, right? You have to protect him. You took him yeah. number one overall. Yep. You didn't pass I mean, up. He was getting way too much pressure last year. He had way too little time in the pocket. Once you protect him, I mean, he's going to be absolutely fantastic. Yeah. All right, let's talk about another quarterback that could be on the move as a result of these two huge trades. Jimmy G from the Niners. Sounds like, you know, they're, they're rumoring maybe smokescreen that they want to keep him. Um, but it doesn't seem like at that salary you're going to keep him unless you're trying to draft Lance and hide him behind Jimmy G for a year. So if Jimmy G were to be on the move, we know Park likes Cam Newton. What would you guys think about Jimmy G reuniting in New England again? I don't like it. I think I, I don't like Jimmy G at all at this point in his career. He's on a horrible contract. He's constantly injured. I don't like him throwing the ball as, as much as I used to. I, I just I don't like Jimmy G in general. And I think throwing Jimmy G on the Patriots when they've already got Newton, they've basically resupplied Newton with all these weapons that they sign in the offseason. I just think it, it causes problems more than it does. I think I agree because you might as well just give Cam a second year than throw Jimmy G back in that offense and get the same results that you got from Cam in his first year. Maybe a little better, but still, how much yeah. better is it really going to be? I say you stick with Cam in that second year. I agree. I think it's kind of for the Patriots – Obviously, they need a QB, and Jimmy Garoppolo is not the solution to that. I mean, he he's not going to be able to lead the Patriots to another Super Bowl. At this point, you stick with Cam for another year. You get a quarterback either in this draft or in the next draft. You develop them maybe, again, under Cam Newton for another year. Who knows? But Jimmy Garoppolo is not the solution in New England. Here's my thing, though, is I think Jimmy G is a better option than Cam. I know Parker disagrees. We, we've already debated that, but – if the price is right for Jimmy G, right? If you can get a one-year deal, you know, a couple of million with incentives, right? He could obviously get a bigger deal maybe from the Bears where he has to compete with Andy Dalton. 
But if he goes to New England and they guarantee him a starting position, I think he would take a super team-friendly deal to try to keep himself as a starting quarterback in the league, prove himself in New England, all those options, that offensive line, right? They have a great system in place this year for him to succeed. If he can succeed, he'll get paid big contract again next offseason. So I think that would be a good move for him and the Patriots. If they can get him on a team-friendly deal, it's a no-brainer. It's only a one-year deal. Like, I get he's not the future solution for him, but neither is Cam Newton. So in my opinion, he's a better one-year replacement than Cam, and you can get him well, on a right. Neither of them are are long-term solutions, but yeah. and, and neither of them are good solutions. But Cam Newton is the least bad solution. I mean, Jimmy G is, like, constantly injured. You can't trust that guy to stay healthy. I mean, right. I mean not the same that gonna, he At least with like, Cam, you got so okay. mobility. Or mobility. Cam's also had experience with, with this offense. He's going to have worked with Smith, Henry, uh, whoever else they brought in at wide receiver this offseason. He's going to have that at least some semblance of chemistry, which Jimmy G won't have. I think Cam is just the better plug-the-hole option. Listen, I think I, the Patriots this offseason, they built up their receivers. They built up their tight ends to fit Cam Newton's needs. I mean, Cam Newton is not an accurate guy. He can't throw the ball deep. He, I mean, that's why they went out and got uh, Henry and um, – um, Johnny Smith. Yeah, and Johnny Smith. I mean, they're getting those guys so that Cam can just throw it to a big tight end and not have to worry about, you know, hitting the little receivers on deep roots. I mean, they retooled for Cam Newton this year, not for Jimmy Garoppolo. Yeah. I mean, the, their entire offense is going to be based around Cam Newton this year. He's their one-year solution, not Jimmy Garoppolo. Right. Could you argue that that offense is actually perfectly fit for Jimmy G though, as well? You look at his offense in San Francisco, right? George Kittle, they had Jordan Reed. They had other good tight ends. They had great tight ends in San Francisco. They had a great O-line. They were run a run scheme. That's what Bill Belichick seems like he's going to do anyway. And then they had, you know, Kendrick Bourne type receivers, which the Patriots just brought in. They have Aguilar type receivers. These guys who, you know, aren't big, big receivers but they're speedy they can kind of create separation and get open it's kind of the same offense i would argue that jimmy g ran in san fran and jimmy g's familiar with the new england playbook and that san fran style so i think you know to argue that cam newton knows that playbook or that play style better you know you could argue against that as well i mean, right, I well, I mean let's, go, let's go back let's go back to san francisco and back to the draft do you guys really think other than maybe trevor lawrence and zach wilson because i think maybe not even those two do you think that a Trey Lance and Justin Fields or a Mac Jones should come out the gates as a starting quarterback, or they need to sit behind somebody. Cause I, no, they, need a year. they need a year. I mean, you know, with every good quarterback in the league, Patrick Mahomes needed a year. Um, I, I think those guys definitely need a year but behind some of, the, some of these I guys, would, you can't give them a year. Some of these guys need to come in and perform right now. Right. Trevor Lawrence and Zach Wilson is a different story, but if you have Jimmy G, no. like, those teams that are going to get is Zach Wilson, even built to come out the gate. Right. I agree. I totally, I was just going to say that Alex, I think if anybody, Zach Wilson might be, you know, the third or fourth most ready to play right now. Now I get that he's a second pick and I think he is the second best quarterback when it's all said and done. But yeah. right now, if I'm a team that needs a quarterback for one year, I'm saying Trevor Lawrence is my first option. Then Mac Jones is second. I think Mac Jones is the second most NFL ready. Okay, I think Trey Lance is last. Right, right. But you also have to, you also there's, have there's to a the other quarterbacks. Quarterbacks that are ready to play right now and the quarterbacks that will be the best QBs in the future. And, and at least for there's a few teams in this high in this draft that need a QB that's ready to go right now. Jaguars, definitely. They have no other options. Wilson is one of those. I think Wilson is the number two QB in this draft because he's going to be the second best QB in this draft. But I don't think he's the number two QB that's ready to play right now. I'm losing you with, with Jones. I think Jones is another project. I, I think there's 
there's a lot of risk that wow. comes with these QBs. I, I like Fields as the second most ready to play QB because he's had he's had two years That's of funny. college experience with Ohio State, and he he's played actually good teams. So like Wilson has played a lot, but he hasn't played anybody good. The argument and, against Fields though is that. He's in this Ohio State scheme where, you know, the receivers are always better than the defense unless they play against Alabama, where they're always open. They have a great scheme. They always get guys open. They make that everything. That's the same easy. situation at Alabama where the receivers are better than everybody else. I mean, you have Smith and Waddle. Those are two guys that are going in the, in the first 15. Right. But what they're saying is that Mac Jones gets through his reads a lot better than Fields does. Right. I don't know. I don't. I don't evaluate quarterbacks for a living, but I'm just listening to what they're saying. If they're saying Justin Fields can't make it through his reads, I know sure as heck when he's playing one of the elite defenses in the league, if you can't get through your league through your reads, you can't play in the league. Yeah, I mean, all right, all right, all right, wait, let me talk. All right. So first and second pick, we look at we also have to look at the teams that are drafting these guys. The Jaguars obviously going for Trevor Lawrence. They don't have another guy to play a quarterback. The Jets, I personally can't trust Sam Darnold taking another snap under center. But you go to three and you go to the 49ers, you have Jimmy G, a guy who's taken them to the Super Bowl. You can trust to sit somebody like Trey Lance, Mac Jones behind him when the other teams don't. I believe it's best if the Jaguars and Jets maybe sat these guys for a year, but I don't think they're going to because they want to win and they need to win. Yeah, they, they can't sit them. They have no other options. That's fair. But yeah, the, I the 49ers do. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah so the, 49ers, the 49ers pick should be entirely a, a who do we believe will help us four years from now down the road instead of maybe not four years, but Who's a guy that we can like sit develop for a year and and like help us out? Right, in I the, think that right now in Let giving Jimmy all, go for a year and then get him out. In giving up all of these picks, though, the 49ers are committing to win now, right? If they're trying to win in four years, you don't give up three first round picks to go get a quarterback. Like, right. I are, are they built to? Are they built to win right now? You I think mean, they are. Nick Bosa on a rookie contract is a key to their success. Nick Bosa will become the richest defensive player in the history of football when his contract extension time comes. That's just my opinion. Right, I mean, and then in a year or two, the next guy will. Right. Like, my point is just going to go up. No, but that's Listen, not. I think when you I pay a defender, what he's going to get paid. The Niners might be in a spot. Where they want to win now, but I think the only quarterback in this draft fit to start for an NFL team right out of the gate is Trevor Lawrence, and they simply cannot get Trevor Lawrence. So they need to get a guy that can develop under a year for Jimmy G. I, I think that's I, the way to go for the 49ers right now. I'm still not convinced the 49ers are ready to win right now. They're in the toughest division in football by far. I mean, you've got the Seahawks, the Rams, and the Cardinals, who are all going to be potentially potentially playing for a playoff spot this year. And that's I mean, really tough. You've got a, you don't have a solid solution at QB like these other teams do. You don't have – I mean, you have a solid offensive line. You have a solid running game. You have George Kittle. You have a relatively good defense. But the quarterback is such a big hole. Jimmy G is not getting it done. And whoever they bring in this year, unless it's it's Lawrence no, – That's the point. If you plugged in a good quarterback, they're win now because you look at Kittle, arguably the best tight end in the league, right? They just paid an older tackle. They have another, a nice right tackle in McGinchy. They just paid Alex Mack an old center. Like their offensive line is built to win now. They have good tight end. They don't need the receivers. They don't really use them, but they still have Ayuk and Debo Samuel, two you know highly drafted players the past two years. They have Mostert still. That defense still has a lot of players, Bosa and Armstead. I mean, they still have a lot of talent on both sides of the ball. That's why I say when these guys are on rookie contracts, that's when you have to win. Okay, hey, but Brennan, like, like Brennan, let me ask you this, though. Let me ask you this. Okay, so I forgot what I was going to ask you. Wait. Wait. We can we can we can move on real quick because Joey Winnicore actually submitted a question for us to answer on the podcast, and his question was: Are the Dolphins going to win the AFC East this year? This is our first trivia style question from our fans. 
Joey went, of course, submitting the question. Alex, your answer to Joey. Will the Dolphins win the AFC East this year? If they draft a receiver and he works out, yes, they will. Wow. Hey, Card, you came in here saying that the NFC West, you said, was t- arguably the hardest division in football. As soon yes. as you said that, I went straight to the AFC East. I said this coming year, they might have competition for the hardest division by the AFC East. You saw the Patriots improve their team a lot. You know the Bills are one of the top three teams in the league. And the Dolphins, who are improving this team through these drafts and already have a young star team. I think it'll be tough for the Dolphins to win. I still think the Bills are going to win, but I think they do have a good chance. I think if they draft, you get the right receiver in there, you get that right connection with Tua, they're solid at offense, I think. Yeah, Joey's a clown. I think the Bills are going to win. Like, this dude is <laughs> a fan of he's, – he's a fanboy. I think I'm the happy, Dolphins I'm happy that Joey – if, if Tua figures it out and they draft, you know, a good receiver at um, – they're at six, wow. right? Yeah, now they're at six. Yeah, that's six. So, if they draft a good receiver and Tua figures it out, sure, they can win the, uh, the AFC East. But I still think it's the Bills' division to lose. Uh, yeah, I, I, I think the Bills – make the playoffs. Though. I think the Bills are the favorites. The Patriots are the second favorites. And the Dolphins are still third. Sorry, Joey. I love that the Dolphins have made improvements. I just still don't think in that division, Tua okay. gets it done. The Patriots are not the second favorite to win the AFC. I, I think they are. Uh, it's between them and the Dolphins. I got to go. Roster, their roster all around is better between than the, the Dolphins. Patriots and the Dolphins. I'm going with the Dolphins. It's, yeah, it's, yeah. All it is, it's, it's between Cam and Tua. Whoever performs better is going to be the better team. Yeah. I think yeah, the Patriots have a better roster outside of quarterbacks, but at the same time, right. Can Cam perform? I the think, is, I, think I, just don't, I just don't believe in Tua. I don't believe in Tua personally. But that that's that's why I don't think the Dolphins can win the AFC. Right. But we do think Dolphins are good wild tar- wild card candidates, right? Yeah, yeah I think that they can I think Definitely. three teams will make yeah. the playoffs from this division with the expanded playoffs. I, I really think that three teams from the AFC. I really can think win. the Patriots are not making the playoffs. Sorry. <laughs> you're just a you're just a typical Giants fan hating on the Pats. No, but they still have Cam Newton. <laughs> yeah, you can't. But, bro. But have playoffs with Cam Newton. Right, I think they're going to be able to, you know, run that run-heavy offense. They're going to have one of the best defenses in the league. The two tight end sets. Like, I think they're just going to ground and pound and sneak their way into the playoffs. Are there I, any other arguments for best division in the AFC for the Patriots and the NFC East? I don't know. NFC West is pretty good. Like yeah, the, the NFC, NFC West is by far the best division. They have legitimately four playoff, four potential playoff teams in that conference. I mean, I Seahawks could go. Rams probably the favorites. Cardinals really talented. Mm-hmm. D-Hop and Kyler. And then for San Francisco 49ers, I've been harsh on them, but they have that potential. I don't think they're in Super Bowl win-now mode, but they have playoff potential. I Nolan, think the Nolan. NFC South could fight a little bit with that if the panthers can be a good team the falcons no no no, no you're asking you're panthers asking aren't good teams that haven't been good in a while texans won't be they'll be one of the worst in the nfl i don't see deshaun watson coming yeah. back he'll be suspended yeah, in my texans opinion. Will be horrible. Um, no one let's, no, talk, about no, one, let's talk about your giants because last last time we recorded two weeks ago due to sats i don't think they had signed kenny galladay yet they also picked up a dory jackson they a extended leonard williams a lot of moves big moves from the giants seems yeah. like they're going all in but yeah. they still have Danny turnovers at quarterback. Do you think they can get it done? Well, Gettleman is in win-now mode. We see that, you know, he's been spending big this offseason, taking Galladay, obviously huge piece. Uh, no more excuses for Daniel Jones. If he can't figure it out this year with the weapons that Gettleman has provided him with and with, you know, a potential Devontae Smith pick at, uh, at 11 in the draft, uh, if he can't figure it out this year, then you got to move on from Daniel Jones. That's, that's it. He's done. 
I think uh, Daniel Jones' fault. He's spending all this money on his uh, weapons, but you're not improving his old line. And how are you going to expect him to? Uh, I disagree. They they spent the fourth pick last year on Andrew Thomas, the top. And he was he was cheeks. He was awful. Yeah, he was he not improved. very good. He improved. I, right, I, I, think, I think you have to pray that Rashawn Slater falls down to you guys and you, you select them. And that's right. But I, I, that I, happens, they I have Nate, all up to Danny Dimes. They have Nate Solder, who was once one of the best tacklers in the league. They have Matt Pert, the UConn tackle, who they took in the third round last year. Like, they have good pieces on that offensive line. I understand it, it wasn't good last year. Part of that was Solder opting out and Andrew Thomas still being a rookie, Matt Pert still being a rookie. Like, I actually think they've invested somewhat in that offensive line, and I think that Danny Dimes is ultimately – And with the build. weapons that Gettleman has given Daniel Jones in this offseason, Kenny Galladay, Kyle Rudolph, you still have Sterling Shepard, you still have uh, Darius Slayton. I think it's – And you Saquon. Know, it's Saquon's still time. there. It's do or die time. I mean, if he can't figure it out this year, he's never going to figure it out, and you got to move on. Yeah, but I, if he does figure it out this year, which I hope he does, then, you know, he can be our franchise quarterback. I think overturned general managers are seeing it harder and harder to pay receivers like these good receivers like Galladay all this money, especially be, especially Galladay because of how much he's been injured. But I think is he really worth what he's going to do to your team? That what he's going to improve your team is he really worth that money that you spent on him? Right. Yeah, but, I think I think Galladay, I think Galladay was, but Adoree Jackson was a questionable signing. That was a big yeah. pay. They were right. they were two questionable signings in terms of how much you're paying them. But yeah, to come was, to New York, this this roster looked pretty good last year. Like I think they can take a big leap with those two additions. I agree. I agree. I think it, the players rests, are good fits. Right? Entirely on Daniel Jones's shoulders, and that, this is this is my problem. I just I don't think Daniel Jones is legit. Every time I watch him play, it looks like he's deer in the headlights. Basically, yeah. I mean he he looks intimidated. He doesn't look confident throwing the ball. I, I agree. All right, last question before we go. I've seen Daniel Jones is not legit, but, I mean, he's been provided with the tools. Uh, This is his do-or-die years, like Josh Allen. Josh Allen took that huge leap. Maybe Daniel Jones can take a leap. If he can't, then you move on. Like, this is is his last One more talking point before we go. I don't think we ever got to talk about Dalton because we recorded two weeks ago. The Bears gave Dalton that one-year $10 million deal. He's basically their only quarterback. It doesn't sound like Nick Foles will compete for that starting job. Like, is there anybody in this podcast group that agrees that was a good signing for the Bears? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. <laughs> Nick Foles or Andy Dalton, you're not making the playoffs anyways. Yeah, I mean, it seemed like kind of a pointless signing for them. I mean, if you're ownership, you're looking at Matt Nagy and Ryan Pace, their general manager. They're in what they're – this is their playoff year. They have to win or they're fired pretty much. If you're looking at the, these offseason moves, they lost Kyle Fuller. Akeem Hicks is seeking a trade. I mean – they're, they haven't gotten anybody. Allen Robinson said he doesn't want to play on the tag. I bet he will. But regardless, they made no improvements. They got worse. Their quarterback position, I would argue, got worse. I think Trubisky is a better player than Andy Dalton. And at this point, if your ownership, like your team doesn't look good now, they don't look good for the future. They don't have a good draft pick. Like what in the world are the Bears looking at if they're not trading for Russell Wilson and Deshaun Watson? Uh, I mean, well, I don't, I don't, they tried to trade for Wilson. Seattle just wouldn't let him go. Right, but like, just don't ever hang up the phone. I mean, there, there's no, like, there's no solution. You're gonna be fired if you can't get Russell Wilson or Deshaun Watson to Chicago. And at this point, you really can't expect Deshaun Watson to play, so you can't trade for him. Like right now, if I'm the Bears, Bears. I think Nolan's cutting out. But if I'm the Bears, I'm making right the best possible offer to Seattle for Russell Wilson. I don't care what it takes. Khalil Mack, Allen Robinson, and seven first round picks. If you're Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy, like you have to go all in. 
Yeah, the, the Bears ruined their franchise by not selecting uh, Patrick Mahomes. And I don't think they'll be in the playoffs anytime soon. I, I, yeah. I, I, you can keep woulda, shoulda, coulda-ing that. But, I mean, Mr. Brisky was a questionable pick. But we're not going to sit here and act like Patrick Mahomes was seen as this franchise savior, second coming of God, quarterback prospect. I mean, he, I, he was a great prospect. Yeah, People liked you, him. But he wasn't like, oh, my God, this guy is the number two pick unquestionably. You, Leon, you could say a hundred teams over the years have ruined their teams because they missed out on so and so, so and so, so and so. You don't know. Like you get lucky. A lot of it is knowing who's good, but a lot of it is getting lucky. Part so of it, I, yeah, I mean, part of it is also the system, though, right? Patrick Mahomes yeah. walks into the perfect system. He has Andy exactly, Reid, coach, exactly. Kelsey, and Tyree Kill, and he gets to sit behind Alex Smith, who was a good starting quarterback at that time, and learn behind him for a year. It just it reminds you right now, like all these teams we mentioned, Zach Wilson is going to be thrown into a fire in New York. They don't have great skill. Like, they don't have great weapons on offense, in my opinion. That O-line isn't great. Do we know that it's a good scheme? Like, again, he's not learning behind anyone, so he's getting thrown in. He could become the next Mitchell Trubisky, and this is where you think, like, are we just over-evaluating these quarterback talents and not the situation that they're being thrown into? That's why Sam Donald is the most misunderstood quarterback, and Sam Donald is a top 15 quarterback. Well, he was just throwing this fire. He's not top 15, but New England no is, way. is no chance. He is better than Cam Newton. He's better than Andy Dalton. I bet you if if, the, if I was a Bears, I would go out and get Sam Darnold. I would I like that for the Sam Bears. Darnold, the I don't think Sam Darnold can be trusted to take another snap. Because right. I mean, he goes out there and he sees ghosts. That's yeah. what he does. Not yeah, for the exactly. Jets, though. All right, we've got to go. That's the end of our NFL segment. We'll be moving on to the NCAA and then the soccer after. Hope you enjoy. All right, we'll welcome into this college basketball segment, March Madness edition of episode 20 of the Eosmith Sports Talk podcast. I'm joined by Leon and Alex so far. I think Nolan's going to be hopping in here quick. But we're going to get you covered. we got the final four set for this upcoming weekend. Um, we've got a, It was a pretty crazy tournament so far. We've got a lot of busted brackets. And our final four, Gonzaga, UCLA, Houston, and Baylor. Um, UConn, the hometown team, obviously, we talked about them a lot on last week's podcast. They kind of disappointed. They lost in the first round to Maryland, kind of a game not many of us saw coming. Alex, do you have any explanation for why UConn played so poorly in that game? Um, I think it was just an inability to, to get any points whatsoever. I mean, their offense was terrible. I think there were points throughout the game where they had more uh, rebounds than points so it's just an inability to score the ball to shoot it effectively to move it and find space in that Maryland defense that's a really costly and a large part of that was kind of James Booknight playing very poorly Nolan when you look at UConn in the future years here I mean Booknight obviously could declare for the draft could be a lottery pick um, you have to imagine his stock fell in the Big East tournament and then in this game against Maryland here in March Madness where he played terribly in both games you'd have to imagine his stock fell at this point if you're booking it are you staying at UConn trying to develop and improve or are you going to the draft personally if I'm booking I I mean I think he needs another year I think he needs another year to develop I think the Big East tournament and NCAA draft just showed his immaturity and that he's not ready for the next level but I mean we all know book night we all seen his you know superstar mentality uh sort of got a big head, sort of a selfish player. I think that came out in the Big East tournament and the NCAA tournament. So I think he will declare for the draft. But, I mean, his stock obviously dropped a ton, I think. You know, he went from a probably a top-10 pick to maybe a mid-second-round pick. But 
Um, I mean, like Dan Hurley said, Dan Hurley said um, he needs another year to develop. And I agree, but I don't think he'll stay. Yeah, I'm with you on that. He definitely should come back for another year, in my opinion. I think he'll leave, though, because of that, you know, big head mentality you talked about. Um, at the same time, Leon, if you're UConn, if you're Dan Hurley, do you really want James Booknight coming back for another year? I mean, you saw in the tournament he didn't come through. They're, they became too reliant on him as a scorer, and we saw in the tournament that really came to bite them when he couldn't produce. You should be banned from posting shows. Why would you not want James Booknight, your best player, to come back? Give him another season. He can develop, get better, and get ready for next season and NBA draft in the future. Definitely you want James Booknight back. What question was that? I'm sitting here listening to, to two UConn fans who saw James Booknight basically carry this roster for an extended period of the season. He couldn't get it done against Maryland in the tournament. Saying, ah, oh, this guy went from a top 10 pick to a mid-second round. Are you serious? Did you watch no. him against Creighton? You, you saw the, the two biggest games of the year? The two Ross biggest games of the year, they would have been better if he never put his jersey on. He was Mary. terrible. Down. I mean, he when he doesn't exactly. play well, the rest of the team doesn't play well. He, he's a leader. He has to know that. He and single-handedly he killed them in both the Big East tournament and the March Madness tournament. Maryland, I mean, Maryland had no success beyond the first round playing UConn, but guarding James Booknight, they strapped him up. You would have thought he was being guarded by Kawhi and Giannis in a double. Well, how, is, how is this not the fault of Dan Hurley for developing a team that isn't dependent on one player who then gets locked up, and now it's that player's job to get out of a hole that the coach put him there in the first place because he didn't anticipate the fact that his team revolves around one player and Maryland could just lock that guy up and shut UConn down. How is that Booknight's fault? Right, you can put some some blame on Danny Hurley. I, I get that, right? He built this team that's reliant on a superstar. And my argument would be that they just don't have other players that can, you know, fill up the stat sheet. And we saw that in the tournament, right? Book Knight's getting shut down. Their offense is nothing. Um, they have guys like Polly who can kind of score as like fourth options. But other than that, um, I think Danny Hurley is just not working with much. But at the same time, you look at Book Knight, he's not a superstar. If you're an NBA team with the, you know, 12th, 10th pick, are you really looking at James Booknight as, oh, gosh, this guy is the future of our franchise. He's a future asset for this franchise. After watching those games, you really can't be. I will say, in Booknight's defense, right, he was expected to give you a Kemba Walker, Shabazz Napier type run through the NCAA tournament. And that is a lot of pressure for a sophomore who had his first season cut short due to COVID. Uh, I will say, you know, Kemba was a junior when he led UConn to the championship. Shabazz was a senior. Um, but again, that just shows that book Knight needs another year to develop maybe he needs you know another full season developing under dan hurley developing with some more key players i mean you know next year we have some great recruits coming in and samson johnson and rachel diggins it'll give book Knight a little bit of secondary scoring help uh, which he might desperately need to shine yeah yeah he definitely does desperately need secondary scoring help because he was playing with a bunch of high school talent out there and that's why they get locked up because you just defend the one guy whom the team revolves around Look. and they're kind of screwed. So yeah, some secondary help would be useful. That's why I'm taking book down at least in the first round, because you know, as an NBA roster, you're going to have at least some competent shooters on the team that book Knight can drive and pass to and shoot the ball effectively. If like, book Knight goes to the league been on your own and y'all are like crapping on him for that. Book Knight would get bodied by every defender in the league. He literally couldn't stay on his own two feet for more than three minutes at a time. In I mean, the Knight was on and the ground Maryland. for more than half of that game. Right. He, he you would have thought he was playing football. So I think he needs to go back to UConn and bulk up for sure. Yeah. I, I think that would be a good decision. He needs a little bit more development. At this point, he's not ready for the NBA. It's simple as that. Right.
All right, let's move on. Let's talk Illinois and Michigan, right? The two one seeds that aren't in our final four. Michigan lost last night in the lead eight. Um, Illinois lost in the second round to Loyola Chicago. Nolan, in your opinion, what went wrong for both of those teams? So Illinois just got outplayed by Loyola. I mean, again, it's hard for a one seed coming off of, you know, an easy game to a 16 seed. It's hard for them to come and face their first good team, you know, after just breezing through a team. But again, it's Illinois. You expect a one seed of that caliber to be able to hand handle Loyola to Chicago and, you know, they're one good big man, uh, especially when you have a guy like, um, <clears throat> you know, Ayo DeSumo and Kofi Coburn. Um, but I mean, they just got outplayed. They weren't ready for that game. They weren't prepared. Uh, usually you see the one seed sort of figure it out by the second half. They didn't. Um, and that's why Loyola Chicago advanced to the Sweet 16. Yeah, I, I agree. I love Loyola Chicago. I thought they played like one of the best teams in the tournament. Um, they had those two big wins. They really didn't seem like the Cinderella story that they were. I mean, I know they came in as what a nine or an eight seed. I thought really they were one of the better teams in the tournament. I thought they might make a run to the final four, but they didn't. Um, then last night, Leon, we see UCLA, who's an 11 seed. They knock out Michigan. Um, what, like what in the world went wrong for Michigan to lose to an 11 seed or is UCLA just legit? Uh, Johnny Juzang. <laughs> Clutch. I, I like uh what's his name jacques or something the yeah big, big lefty oh yeah man, that guy's a nice player for sure I, I think ucla has a chance against gonzaga what a combo though but no, at the, no, at no, the same is, time, right that's, that's where you've gone too far ucla does not have a chance i don't think anybody has a chance against yeah, I gonzaga agree. i agree nobody that's, has a chance against gonzaga it, but it I doesn't mean, look good for ucla though i don't think anybody saw them going this far and they're they're yeah, not no, a deep team. Not. I mean, they they really kind they're of not, they revolve around those, two players, right? Those those two players, but they only use five six players really throughout the whole game. And then you saw right. yesterday when um, is that Cruzan a problem? Like, does that does that play? I mean, obviously everyone is at a disadvantage, but does that shoot themselves in the foot even more? Just given Gonzaga's lightning quick pace. Like, are you going to wear out those five, six guys, seven yeah. guys pretty quick? I think I think they're going to struggle too much guarding the big guy, Timmy, and then Jalen Suggs at the same time. When you don't have, they don't UCLA's have enough players in the problem is Their size. They're a really small team. They have trouble defending the inside. I mean, I think the reason you uh, Michigan lost last night was because, I mean, their big men were off. Uh, Franz Wagner with not a great game. Hunter Dickinson, not a great game. Uh, they, they could never get it going, so UCLA took over with their uh, – small ball play and Timmy and Timmy was just dominating yesterday that was so great to see I mean it was just so funny because he's, he's such a clown kind of but just to see him eating up Michigan <laughs> in the paint like everyone talking about oh Michigan's one of the best teams they're big guys and and then front or Timmy just absolutely ate Wagner that was great um all right so we've got our final four set we've talked about a couple of them who do you guys have winning it all we'll start with you Alex um Give me Baylor. I like Baylor shooting the ball. I like them getting hot down the stretch. Great shooting team. Great offense. And I think they pull it out. Nolan? Uh, I'm going to say Gonzaga. I don't see anybody beating Gonzaga. Uh, I do think Baylor is going to absolutely kill Houston, who saw all double-digit seeds leading up to the Final Four. Um, but I don't think anybody in this tournament can beat Gonzaga. Gonzaga's dominant. Timmy's going to go off. Gonzaga for the ship. Yeah, it's an easy pick, Gonzaga. 
number one seed. They're going to go perfect this year. Yeah, I'm going Gonzaga as well. How about the women's? UConn got that big win um, over Baylor. It looked like a, a big miss. Totally, totally undeserved win. Yeah, like it was game. not a foul. Did you watch the game? They oh, were yes, so sure the foul. Game. Look, there was a lot of missed calls. So yeah, a lot of missed calls. Exactly. It was consistent all game. The people that are arguing that that should have been a foul were obviously not watching the entire game. All right. When when I when I when you're going up for a shot, right, and I just completely nail your shooting arm out from under you. So so much that the ball just like flies two feet forward and drops to the ground. That is completely consistent with the calls that have been going on throughout the game, right? In the most crucial moment in the game, you get obviously fouled. But hey, I mean, we haven't been calling fouls all game, I guess. No, yeah, you just call I mean, the game. I think the entire I game was called poorly. Oh, they were calling yeah. the game this way the whole time. No, if something is a foul, you call that a foul. Right. I think the, the officials were poorly officiating the game throughout the whole game. I mean, Paige Becker's got fouled so many times that they didn't call as Nolan's alluding to. But at the same time, at the end of the game, when there's a foul as egregious as that was, I mean, both of those girls, one got her in the face, one on the arm. As a UConn fan, I can't even argue that wasn't a foul. Like, I think for sure that's a big I mean, miss. Obviously, it should have been a foul. But if you want to argue about that call, then you got to argue about the rest of the calls throughout the entire game. Yeah, but that's that, that, that that's not the – those rest of the calls weren't the calls that cost the game, okay? Like, if something is a foul at the end of the game, you call that, right? Like, sure, I mean, we can debate about whatever and whoever, but the, the simple fact is, like, that should have been called a foul. And the girl who got fouled is shooting 68% well, from the line – so odds are pretty good she at least makes one and sends it to OT. Yeah, but then then you could say that it shouldn't have even been close because UConn was getting fouled all game and they weren't getting called, so they would have made a bunch of free throws and been up by 10 instead of one. I think you'd just rather see the right call made at the end of the game. Exactly. Like it's the right time to make the right I call. Agree. I don't care I how poorly you've been officiating, right? You see that foul, like two girls just destroying her. She's been like – going crazy for Baylor the whole game. They were fouling the girl who was posting up, which I get they don't call that. That's fine. It's been, they've been playing, you know, they've been fouling kind of the whole game. The refs are letting them play. But then you see that foul, like two girls hitting her for the game winning shot, right? It's a one point game. Like you've got to make that call. I, think. I agree. I agree. It should have been called, um, I mean, a bad miss call by the refs, but. That's so, a bad, bad miss call that just screws over Baylor. It's kind of under. Now that UConn advanced though, do you guys all have UConn winning the girls bracket? Yes. Uh, yeah, I think you have. I think for sure. Yeah, I can, you, got some, you got some dumb questions t- this morning. No dip. Yes. <laughs> I can see Paige Becker's getting four titles. I mean, you look at what they have the number one recruit yeah, this year. Absolutely. Kristen Williams is a stud. Nika Mule, she's a really good player. I mean, they just have so many good players um, that are all pretty young. It's a pretty young team right now. Um, and yet, she's going to be the next Sue Bird. She'll go and win four championships for UConn. Easy. I agree. There's a lot easy. of talk about, like, you know, implementing the one and done rule in women's basketball i'm kind of curious what you guys would think of that because personally i think it would be a good idea to have a player like Paige beckers i mean you look at Paige becker she has like what seven hundred and fifty thousand followers on instagram she's super famous maybe the most famous women's basketball player in the world right now she's a freshman in college wouldn't it be good for the WNBA and women's basketball as a brand if she went to the draft as the first pick well, this year i would i would look at this from the perspective of the players in women's basketball the best probably the best competition and the best playing of their life is going to be in college. So yeah. I think they want to stay in college for as long as they can, so they can get their best experience for as long as they can right. before the WNBA. And Just so I, I see this, this was the point I was debating with Leon earlier. He made that same point, but my argument is it's only the best competition in college basketball because you're holding these girls when they're 18 to 22 years old 
to play in college basketball. If all of these good players, if that girl from Baylor, who the freshman who just went crazy in that game, and Beckers and all these girls, Kristen Williams, if they all went to the WNBA, they would be the what top 10 picks, right? They would all be in the WNBA. And then all this talent would be just flushing through college basketball. You'd see Paige Beckers for one year in college, and then you'd follow her into the WNBA. I mean, I know personally, if she went to the WNBA, I would be very interested in her because I think she's going to be the greatest women's basketball player of all time if she can stay healthy. All right, you see these talents, these these great talents in women's basketball, but they're stuck in college in in college basketball, and they can't make it to the WNBA. Yeah, but then, but then, but then, all these great talents develop for four years, become better players, and then they make it to the WNBA, and then the WNBA are the least exciting years of their college basketball career. I mean, like, I mean, again, where's where's the the disconnection here? From the perspective of the WNBA, maybe it is better for uh, their brand to get the one and done players. Maybe it's better for the WNBA, but I don't think it's better for the players. I think the players want to stay in college for more because college is the best experience they're going to have in their lives as you know, women's basketball players. Right. But I would argue if you go to the WNBA, you can monetize, right? You can get sponsorships. I mean, you know, Paige Beckers would get a sponsorship from Nike or Gatorade. Like she would get big sponsorships. She would bring attention and money to the WNBA, to women's basketball that she can't bring in college. And but is, is she not going to do that when she makes it to the WNBA? Get that in three years when she makes it. Right. To but WNBA. she's shortening her career. She's shortening the time that she can make money monetize off of her skills and her persona. No, that, that brings up a good point. Like that, that is true. And I mean, another thing you have to consider with women's basketball is a lot of these girls become pregnant and have children. You see girls retiring from the WNBA. Look at Morgan Tuck, right? What she was like the third pick a bunch of years ago, five, six years ago. She just retired this year because of health issues, right? You look at your, if you're sending them to the league at an older age, they're having fewer years. And especially with women who become pregnant, once you have kids, you're never the same player again. So if you're, if you're, if Paige Beggars gets pregnant at 30, right? If you put her in the league at 23, she has seven years. You put her in the league now, she has 12 years. Like, that's my argument for put her in the WNBA. Yeah, okay. So all that attention and money to the sport. So I, I agree with Nolan. I think the w, I think the, the college basketball, women's college basketball, is going to be the most exciting, most competitive, and, and best years of a women's college basketball career. Uh, however, I think Brennan's right here. I mean, when there's money to be made, when there's money on the table, I think if, if they truly want to stay in college basketball and play college basketball those four years, because it, it – will most likely be the most exciting four years of their women's college basketball career or women's basketball hey. career, then you give them the option to do that, right? Like you say, okay, you can you can go one year to college and then be done. And if you want to stay the rest of the four years, go ahead. But when there's money to be made on the table, I don't think it's a good idea to, to restrict these women to having to play four years when there's the opportunity to get injured. You're decreasing the amount of money that they can make over the course of their career. You can't make scholarship. You, you can't make sponsorship deals in college because that's against the rules, right? You're limiting the amount of money that can be made. And when you have the chance to be, you know, in, increase uh, to be, go, you know, be extremely wealthy, then like I don't think you should uh, force them to pass up on that opportunity for three more years. Yeah, but that money comes with a popularity that rises in uh, college basketball because you're not getting that popularity in the WNBA. I, I see what you're saying that, you know, Paige Becker's brand is growing, but just look at her right now. I mean, I look at Brianna Stewart. I think she has less than 100,000 followers on Instagram compared to Becker's who has 750,000, right? Stewart was arguably the best women's college basketball player ever, but she's not nearly as famous as Paige Becker's already. So if Paige Becker's went to the WNBA this year in the draft, number one overall pick, 
like she would get so much attention. She's already so famous. Like, I don't think she needs to build her brand more to get to the WNBA, get to the WNBA, build your brand, go be in Gatorade commercials with Jason Tatum, go work for Subway, get all this money, bring attention to women's basketball and be the star that they're looking for to, you know, increase their sport. Yeah, and, to, and to Leon's point, like if there's people that are, are not as famous as, as Paige Beckers, then they can stay for those, those extra three years, two years, however many years you need before you feel like you've built up a brand and can go to the WNBA right. and get those sponsorship deals, yeah, right? No. But if somebody like Beckers is like insanely popular already and insanely talented and is ready to move on to the WNBA, why right. do you limit them to playing? Yeah, having to play I agree. Another I think, I they think there are good points on both sides here. Money. They don't have the chance to sign sponsorship deals with Nike when they already could definitely make a ton of money doing that. Like, why would you have to limit them in that way? If people need to stay in college because they want to build their brand more, then let them do that. Don't limit the people who already have a brand built up and who are already ready to go make money in the WNBA. Don't force them to stay an extra three years. I, I agree. I think there are good points on both sides here. I mean, obviously, when you know there's an opportunity for sponsorships and all that, I, I don't think they should be limited. <clears throat> I still think that most players – would want to stay for the extra three years though i think that if this rule were implemented i think there would be a lot of players <clears throat> even at page becker's status that would want to stay just you know for the experience but they, again they, it shouldn't be, they shouldn't be limited uh you know page beckers could easily go to the WNBA this year um so you know we've good points right. on both sides here i think it would right just give them the option because it would be better right. for page Beckers and you know other girls that are kind of in her like Brianna Stewart as a freshman girls like that who are super famous and you know super successful the best player in college basketball girls like her it's best for her and for the sport of women's basketball if they go pro after one year in my opinion that is a good conversation good debate both sides obviously can be argued I think we all agree kind of though that the one and done should be opened up that will wrap up our college basketball segment I think we'll have one next week after the final four is settled and who are find out who our national champion is peace out we get into our soccer segment the EOSmith sports talk podcast uh let's start off first topic United States fails to qualify for the Olympics for I believe it's the third time in a row uh Austin I know we were talking about this off air what are some of the contributing factors to that? I mean, it, it seems like it's, it's really bad, but I know you had your thoughts on it too. Yeah, well, there's there's kind of a big mix of factors. One of them was just the game itself. The U.S. didn't seem to want it like Honduras did. Honduras played um, – I mean, they, they played to the final minute. They, they worked hard to make sure that even when the U.S. came back to 2-1 that we couldn't get another good chance. Uh, even though we did have a couple of chances, we just squandered them. There was only a few players for that team that really even played well on the night. Um, I think Jackson Ewell played really well. He scored uh, like a top corner curling goal from like 30 yards, which was really nice. I mean, he, you know, he captained the team, played really well, but it, it just didn't seem like the U.S. wanted it. And I think another factor comes just from the MLS not wanting to release a lot of the players that we could have used and Europe just completely refusing. At least the MLS gave us a couple. But Europe just said, no way, we're not letting any of our under-23s U.S. players play in the United States or play in Mexico because that was where the qualifiers were held. And I, I think it's, it kind of boils down to just issues with U.S. soccer. Like, we don't, we're not respected on the world stage enough because you got to think if England or France or Portugal needed these youth players, you'd be guaranteed that they would get them. But because we're the U.S., because we, we're not one of those big footballing countries, I think that we 
well, I think we kind of get screwed over. It's also kind of like a geographical thing. Like, if England wants their players to go play in a qualifying match, England is – well, first of all, England has a ton of their players, their best players, home domestically. But let's say there's a guy that they want from Spain. Like, it's not a huge deal – to send him from Spain to England as it would be to send an American from Spain back to Mexico. I mean, you're traveling, what, 3,000 miles across the country to a place that hasn't handled COVID well. And this is one of the, like, let's say it's Serginio Des. I mean, that's one of your key players at right back for Barcelona. That's kind of, it's a long distance to send him away. uh, And it's, it's really not worth the risk for them, right? Yeah, but the thing is, shouldn't you take that into account of, like, you, you look at England, right? Okay all of the English players or a vast majority of the English players play within England. So you're a maximum like two hour flight from any of the European countries that those qualifiers could be held in. Plus the European qualifiers, part of them were held in England. They were held in the home countries of those teams. You have to be able to make arrangements for the U S to play right for the U S to, to play in our own qualifiers. And then you let the youth player go, and play friendlies against other teams. We played a friendly against uh, Jamaica. We played a friendly against Northern Ireland. And they were fine with that. They were fine with letting those players go out because we were staying within Europe. I don't understand what the problem is as long as we did something like the MLS did bubble. Like if we, you know, if we had a protocol, uh, you know, within our hotel, within the team hotel, where you just kept players in, they weren't allowed to leave, weren't allowed to go out to restaurants or clubs or anything like that. They had to stay inside. And if they broke protocol, they were sent home. Like, England did um, in the in the friendlies like three months ago, four months ago. Why can't you do that instead of just outright saying no players allowed? We won't let you because that that all that does is hamper our ability as Americans to progress to that next level to play in those big tournaments, the Olympics, the Gold Cup, uh, and really perform well. And then the World Cup qualifiers that come up in November. I think, like, right now, for me, like, this, that subject is pretty messy. Like, not, like, the player, obviously, but, like, just the fact that we don't know, like, what factors really are stopping these teams from letting, like, our, their best players come and play for the United States. But um, that, that's not the point I want to make. The point I want to make is, like, about two, maybe three weeks ago, I had Alex Card hating on Serginho Dest. And I would just like to say, do you have anything to say about this man anymore? Um, that's tough. I just brought him up. I, I brought him up because it was the example that I could think. I just I said Spain and I was like, ah, oh, Serginho Dest, he's the only American I can remember from Spain because he's a real, he's, he's a pretty good right back. I mean, you know, had some trouble against Killian and, and handling him. And uh, did, he, he did played so well against Killian. Mbappe. Hey, hey, Killian dropped a hat trick on his head. I don't think okay, I don't no, no, no. he can say every single one of Mbappe's goals was when so two of them were when Dest was out, and then one of them was when and then one of them was when Dest, um, like. He Mbappe drifted central and PK was covering him. Like that's well, not Dest's fault. If he was playing, if Sergio Dest was playing so good, he shouldn't have came out of the game. He was tired. He was just running up and down the field. He was playing with the right mid, 
and covering Cause, Mbappe. Because Mbappe was dogging him. That's why. Yeah, exactly. You got to think, though, too. You got to think. The second PSG game, though, Serginho Dest picked up his act, and he really, really played well, I think. Okay, but the PSG act. also adapted their style of play, given a 4-1 lead. They didn't want to do anything with that. They just kind of sat back and let him come at him. But you can't take away the quality for a change in play. Like, Serginho Dest, I, yeah, I can understand, at least for the first few months, like, why you could hate on him. Like, it makes sense. Because he di- he didn't perform to a level that you'd expect from a Barcelona player, but recently I just I, I don't get how you could possibly hate him. I He's just been so good. Let's, okay, let's, I I watch. We, 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 most... we already talked about Destin and PSG. I want, speaking of PSG, though, Robert Lewandowski is officially out for both of the quarterfinal ma- quarterfinal matches against PSG. That I know you were pretty high on Bayern moving on against PSG. How does that change your perspective on that? Okay, so. Like as a Bayern fan, I I still I think I wholehearted wholeheartedly believe that they can still take him down, but I think it'll be a much more difficult like task. Just because I mean PSG has, I'm pretty sure that yeah they have their whole team healthy like their front three Di Maria Mbappe Neymar, um they've got Verratti healthy, Adrisigay is healthy, Marquinhos, Kimpembe, like all these just like that, they're gonna have whatever lineup they want. But Dortmund is now missing. Uh, is Kimmich still out, or is he back? I think Kimmich is back. Okay. Um, I, think, I think Lewandowski is their big headliner. That's gonna miss it. Yeah, and that's that's gonna like be tough for them because in the Champions League final, he didn't do very much, but he's like a dangerous threat that you could tell PSG was super super worried about all game, and that they were like. They were covering him in every, like every moment exactly. of the game, just because. But without that, it's just, they're not going to have that threat that PSG needs to cover. Yeah, he's he's one of those guys where it's like even if he's not on the ball and scoring and and doing all the crazy things that he does, he's there, and you have to respect that presence. You know, and it's, you bring up a great point, and I, I think I think it makes Marquinhos and Kempembe's job just that much easier, knowing that you don't have a lethal, you know, top five. He's definitely top five striker in the world uh, lurking and you have to kind of keep your eye out for him. It's much more manageable when that guy is like, I don't know, who, who do they replace him with? Chupa Moting, Gnabry, I guess. I mean, Gnabry's kind of a winger. That's an awkward position for him. We'll have to see how, how Hansi Flicks handles that. I think it just makes those PSG defenders jobs that much easier, um, you know, in not having to worry about looking over your shoulder for, you know, where is Lewandowski? Yeah, that for sure. I mean, it'll be, I, I think, like, it's totally unfair to, like, disqualify, like, um, Byron from this, right? Like, oh, even yeah. though they're no. missing their best player, they have, they are probably, I think, in my opinion, the best team in the world with Man City. So, they, like, they, they have one of the most complete rosters in, in the entire world. I mean, the, where, where do you find a hole on that roster, you know? Mm-hmm. And they didn't even spend the money that PSG and Man City have. Like it's like they have one. They've had one like major, major like signing over the past like five, ten years, and that was eighty million for Lucas Hernandez, and he was injured for a while, but he's been playing pretty well recently. Yeah, I mean it's it's kind of a, a homegrown, if you will, built team. You don't spend a lot of money. Uh, one of my favorite matchups. I know we we. Kind of talked about this last time we were on here, but Real Madrid Dortmund. The more I've thought about this one, the more I really like um, 
this game. I think it could be one of the more competitive ones. I think Liverpool is kind of fighting for their their lives at this point for their season. I mean, Premier League is just off the table at this point. There's no chance that they do anything with that. They, they're probably going to miss uh, all of Europe. Um, and and Real Madrid, I obviously one of the biggest clubs in the world. How do you guys see this specific matchup kind of shaking out? I like Austin. You can go in a second, but um, I just I see Liverpool like winning this. I mean, Real Madrid is not on great form, but I mean, in the Champions League, Liverpool's been on really good form, and um, I, I just I think like I was talking to a Liverpool fan yesterday, and I think we both agreed that if they're gonna win anything, it's gonna be the Champions League, and I think I'd put them as a top three team in the Champions League, like. If if I'm guessing who wins this, I'd put them third in my list. So let's talk about that. Who who would be your favorites at this point? Given uh, yeah, I was, I was just gonna ask, who, like, who is your top three? Rocket. I'll start with one or that. So first is Man City okay. for sure, and then second is Bayern, and then third is Liverpool. I just I can't see like Chelsea, Porto, Dortmund. Like, I can't see PSG going through with it. Like, I, I think they might win this matchup and then lose to Man City, but I can't see them beating Man City and and Bayern, yeah. What about you, Austin? Uh, yeah, I, I think that it's, it's going to be the Man City-Bayern, but I think PSG takes that third spot for me. I just think if they can keep a healthy squad going, that they're going to be really dangerous. And, and Liverpool just, they haven't been able to keep their momentum going, I think, from game to game. And it's going to be a really, you know, difficult, difficult couple of months for them. I mean, they've played pretty well in the Champions League. they played well against Leipzig, but they've shown that their consistency has just been off. Like, There's been something missing this season. Yeah, and I, I think it's kind of an interesting situation because we mentioned this earlier, the teams, most of the teams that we like are kind of in that top bracket, if you will. Bayern plays PSG. Those are definitely two teams up there uh, for, for favorites to win it. Man City plays Dortmund. I mean, really the only team that we've talked about that we like in that bottom four bottom set of four on the bracket is, is Liverpool. Um, I mean, I, I think, you know, it doesn't really matter who wins the Chelsea Porto game. They're going to lose to whoever wins Real Madrid and Liverpool. And then, um, you know, I, it, I guess the way I see it is whoever wins Liverpool Real Madrid is basically a shoe in for the championship spot. And it just kind of depends on who they play from the top bracket. Okay, so it seems like we're kind of done with that topic. So, like, moving on a little bit, um, I want to talk about Ousmane Dembele just because, um, like, especially recently, he has not been getting the love he deserves. Like, he had a great performance against, um, I don't remember exactly what team they played, in the France game. And then he's been playing so well for Barcelona. And... I think at this point, like he is one of the most underrated players in the world, just because he had such a high price tag and such high expectations. But he's like, even in a PSG game, he was creating chance after chance after chance. Yes, they were not getting finished, but he was never really given that great angle. But you would want a striker to score those. But like, he's so fast, so skillful, and just so smart. 
And we're seeing that recent, like we've been seeing that recently. He just looks like a, a dangerous striker. And if he can get that shooting down, I'd put him up with Mbappe and like Ansu Fati and like Holland as the best junksters in the world. I think that is very, very bold of you to say put him up with Holland. Holland is a top class scorer right now. He he's at least he's a top five scorer right now in the world. And I think he's and I think Dembele's top form is when he's only healthy. Obviously that obviously when he's healthy that he's at his top form, but he hasn't been healthy consistently for, for the past couple of games. Yeah, I, I'm I'm with Nick here. I think that's pretty crazy to kind of put uh, Dembele, who hasn't nearly done as much as as Holland has in the Champions League. I mean, you you said it yourself. Like he's had the chances, he just hasn't converted. Like as a as someone who's supposed to, who, they spent a ton of money on this guy. Somebody who's supposed to be like a lethal striker, um, a, a creator as well. Who's you know like it, that's stuff that you have to be converting on and finishing and scoring goals. I mean, if Dembele scores 50% of the chances that he gets against PSG, and mind you, these are like good chances. So these are probably things that he should be converting. They probably come out with a victory in that tie. I really think he costs him that. So to throw him up there with Holland, who's basically carrying this Dortmund team uh, as far as they've gotten in the Champions League, and Mbappe, who was the sole guy who pushed PSG through against Barcelona, is, is pretty crazy to me. Okay, but like, so from watching, like, I've been watching um, uh, Dortmund like a fair amount recently. And the thing about Holland is he does not create like Sancho, um, Brandt, like sometimes Royce when he's healthy, like all these different, like these guys have been creating. And Holland just gets up there, he's got the speed and he can finish. But what I'm saying is if when Usman Dembele gets his finishing down, He's a 10 times better chance creator than Holland. He just doesn't have Holland's just a built scorer. And that's what like Ronaldo is, but Ronaldo has more aspects of the game down than Holland does. And I think that's inarguable. But Harl Holland is the perfect scorer. But Dembele, he can become a great scorer and he's one of the best chance creators in the world right now. I think you can be a chance creator and not finish those chances. And I think Holland finishes the chances. He might not be a chance creator he might not be the one to have the leading pass to create the chance but he's definitely the one that's on the receiving end finishing those chances yeah I I think when you look at overall player Holland is better because although Dembele is great at creating chances for his teammates he's also not great at finishing the chances that he gets and and although Holland isn't good at, at creating chances for his teammates when he gets the ball served up to him I mean he's finishing that 10 out of 10 times, 9 out of 10 times, basically. I mean, he's an incredibly effective finisher, and he's a goal-scoring machine. Like, you can depend on – in the Champions, like, I always watch, I'm amazed. I'm like, are you serious? Like, you can almost depend on Dortmund to put up three, four goals minimum a game because Holland is just constantly creating chances for himself – or not creating chances for himself, but finishing on chances, um, always a threat for the opposition, even though – he kind of has that Lewandowski-type aroma to him I guess where he's just he's on the field and and you always have to be looking over your shoulder where's Erling Holland? where is he making that run um you know where where's the ball in relation to Holland? the same way you do with Lewandowski and it, it's 
it's a task for defenders and it ends up creating opportunities for players, even though he's not directly serving them up the pass or creating the, the key, the key chance he's creating space for them to operate. And I yes. totally agree with you, but I, was I just that think, I, oh, sorry. Yeah, go. go. Okay. Um, I just want to say that right now, Holland unquestionably better than Dembele, but I'm saying if Dembele gets those finishes down, I think it's close. Yeah, it could definitely be close. It, it, Dembele is kind of shooting himself in the foot right now in the fact that he just can't score. I mean, he pushes Barcelona through if he just converts, like I said, 50% of those chances he got against PSG. Barcelona's playing Bayern right now. I mean, if he can improve on that. Yeah, he'd be a great player. Yeah, I think that, that I, I I agree with you, but not to the extent I think that you're pushing. I think, I think that Dembele is an incredible talent when he's healthy. But I think that, you know, you, you bring up the point of, of Erling Holland not creating chances for his team. And I think Alex kind of talked about it. It's he's, that's not his job. That wasn't what he was bought to do. He was never bought to create those chances. He was bought to be that, that poacher, that predator of a player that can get in behind the defensive line and score everything. So I think to put them in the same category is, is wrong. But I think that they, they do deserve to be, they deserve to be near each other, but not in the same way. So I think that maybe that comparison wasn't great, but I think putting, giving Dembele more respect is definitely needed because, he, you know, obviously, like you said, we've seen in the France games that he is, he's an incredible player when he's healthy, when he's on form. And I think Alex really hit on it well, you know, saying that, yeah, he can create chances, but if he was even to a- able to actually convert even half or 25% of the chances that he's given, he could be really, really incredible. And I just, I don't think at this moment that he's obviously able to do that. But I think that maybe within the next year or two, if he can really get his act together and start performing consistently, I think then that, that you might have a point with putting him up there in that top top class of young players. Yeah. And I mean, like, that's that's what I'm like trying to pr- point out. I think, like, you're, Austin's completely right with the fact that Holland was never bought to be a chance creator. And... So they're like two different, like young players with two different jobs. So like that's the thing. They're both. I just I'm arguing that if Dembele improves the sh- like the finishing, then he's going to be comparable at his job than Holland is at his, like than to Holland at his job. That's the argument I want to make. Let, let's talk about Holland, uh, and and obviously he'll probably be on the move this upcoming summer. What is the best? landing spot for Holland I mean we, we've mentioned you know he's, he's in the running for you know maybe going to Liverpool or City or Real Madrid um, PSG is kind of a dark horse there I don't see him going after him but but what is the best landing spot for Holland I think City um, just because like I don't we haven't mentioned this yet but like uh, Aguero is leaving City which is just like it's a big big thing for both him and um, like City, because he's just been such a, a great, like a arguably a top three Premier League striker of all time, probably almost definitely a top three Premier League striker of all time. So, I mean, if he, I think if they can replace him with Holland and Holland it manages to gel with that team because that team is full of creators like De Bruyne, Bernardo Silva, Sterling, like all these different players who are just unbelievable at what they're doing, at what they do. 
um, I think they'll, they'll be unbeatable. And Man City definitely have the money for it, especially with the new um, like transfer, like the transfer laws getting more lenient. So, yeah, I totally agree with that. Is if Holland can gel with Man City, they potentially could be an unstoppable team for the next five years plus. I mean, they're, they're, I think that'd be probably like the perfect spot for him. Um, but but do City have? I mean, City have the money for him, but I think Real Madrid could probably outbid City if it came down to that. And that's really what what Dortmund is looking at here. I mean, is it is it a realistic possibility that City are able to get him? I mean, it seems like Real Madrid are, are super high on on getting either Holland or Mbappe or both of them. Um, I mean. Can it happen? Can, can can City pull it off? Alex, I guess the question is, who would you rather go to right now? In the current climate, who would you rather go to, City or, City or um, Real Madrid? It, it doesn't matter what I want when Dortmund is is taking the money, right? I'm not I'm not in Dortmund's position looking for the most amount of money for, you know, my value, right? Like, it's it's if Real Madrid pays more money for me than Manchester City does, I'm going to Real Madrid, you know? I get that, but if you're if you're Holland and you have your mindset right, you have your mindset on City, and let's say let's say City comes in with a I don't know a ninety million or a, or a hundred million euro bid, right? But Real Madrid comes in with one hundred and ten or one hundred and twenty million euros, but you say no, I won't leave. I will run out my contract, right? I'll, I'll just say no. I will, I'll refuse to sign the contract. You can do that as a player. You're you're able to do that, right? Now, yeah. I, I think that Holland is in the in the position. We, he's almost in like a Messi-esque position at Barcelona. He's the best player at Dortmund by a mile, and he can kind of manipulate his way into whatever transfer he wants. So I think if it comes down to it, it it's not the ability of the club. It's it's whether it's who who Holland wants to go to. And I think right now, with how powerful City are, with the creators that they have, with the talent that is now leaving in Sergio Aguero, they need that replacement striker. Gabriel Jesus is not good enough. He's good, but he's not good enough. He's not nowhere close to where Holland is in terms of ability. If you put in the same team a Holland, a Sterling, uh, a Mares, and a and De Bruyne in that front, like front five or front four group, they it would be. I mean, you'd be racking up four or five goals again every game consistently I for mean, the next three to four years. I agree with you, and I, I think that'd be an incredibly talented team. But I think you also have to consider. Just the, 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 I mean, from a pure footballing perspective, yes, like Manchester City is a clear answer, but that's not everything that goes into a transfer. Like, what if Holland wants to go to Real Madrid because he wants to be the most popular, well known footballer on the face of the earth and make a boatload of money? I mean, I, that also has to be taken into account. Is that, is that what he wants? I mean, you can't really determine that. Well, then, then he, that's what I'm saying. Is then he goes to Real Madrid. It's, it's going to be whatever Holland wants. It's not going to be who brings in the most money. It's not going to be who Dortmund say he has to go to. It's going to be Holland because, again, I think he'll, he'll come into a situation like where Messi is at Barcelona where he'll say, listen, if you don't give me what I want, I will run out my contract and I will leave on a free transfer like Lewandowski did four or five years ago. I'll do the same thing to you guys. And, and I think that Dortmund are scared of that because they, they spent, they didn't spend a lot of money on him. They spent a, a pretty, uh, they got a pretty good deal on him for how good he is. Twenty-two million, I think. Yeah, a very, very good deal for how good he is, and they want to turn a profit. They want to turn a big profit on him. But if it, you know, if it comes to 
if it comes to a, a, a bidding war between three, three or four teams, it'll just end up being who Holland wants to go to. It won't be who the club wants, I think, because he's so powerful, because he has that impact. And those clubs, any club on earth would take him right now. So it'll, it'll, be, it'll be an interesting transfer saga to see this summer. Yeah, we'll have to see how it goes. And, and we'll have to see how Mbappe's situation at PSG shakes out. Because if he ends up wanting to leave for Real Madrid, then that kind of narrows down Holland's options there. Unless Holland decides that he wants to pair up with um, uh, with Mbappe. Let's talk about Sergio Aguero before we go. Aguero will has been confirmed to move on from Manchester City this summer. His contract is expiring, so he'll leave on a free transfer. Uh, where is first of all? We'll, we'll do this two ways. Where do you think the best place for Aguero to go is, and where do you think he'll actually end up? Um, I think he should probably go to, I guess, Barcelona. I mean, he's great friend with, um, like Messi and, um, if Barcelona can sign him on a one-year deal, it'll help Messi want to stay. And he's not, I don't think he's going to ask for too, too much money. So he'll be a good addition, just like a good finisher. Yeah, it just comes down to who needs a striker. And I think Barcelona right now are probably the most in need of a of a really clinical goal scoring striker. And I think I think Aguero's that you know, that pick and, and like Thad was saying with, with his relationship with Messi, I think that'll be a it it'll make it it'll make him a great team to watch. You know, even though it'll that's probably not the way that Barcelona should go just because Sergio Aguero's what, thirty two now? And with Messi yeah. being thirty three yeah, it'll it'll be creating an older front line, which is not exactly what you want, you know, but I think that, I think that's probably his best landing zone. And then like dad said, you know, one or two year deal and then go to the MLS, start playing for, you know, Inter Miami, which is becoming the big kind of prospect team to go play for him. And, you know, the Messi's, the Ronaldo's, they all go play in the MLS and they, they link up to like an Inter Miami or something in four to five years. That is like, oh. yeah, and they just tear it up, just tear up like- the league. I mean, think like Ronaldo, we'll say Ronaldo, Messi playing on the same team with Aguero. You get all these older guys who are done playing in Europe and they just go to Miami. That'd be pretty crazy. Nick, what about you? We'll end it with you. Where do you think Aguero's best option is and where he'll end up? I think he should go to Barcelona. I mean, with being very close friends with Messi, I mean, seeing their country relationship I think that's the best option and the fact that Barcelona just needs a striker that will be healthy and will be able to finish chances all right yeah I mean I kind of a boring uh boring segment though but um like where I think it's the best option for him ends up at Barcelona I I, I think nothing something that you guys didn't touch on was the fact that they have a, a ton of young talent there that could really I mean they're already learning from guys like Messi but they could you know, really take advantage of the fact that you've got some older guys who are experienced, who've done it, and are, are clinical, amazing players like Aguero, like Messi, uh, and really learn from that. I think Barcelona, it really depends on the finances, how many guys they'll have to end up selling off from being so so far in debt. Um, but if they can manage to hold on to you know a majority of the young guys that they have in-house right now, they'll be really good, really, really good moving forward. That'll be enough for the uh, soccer segment today. Uh, we'll have to check in with some Champions League talk next week. 
and uh, reassess that. Thank you guys for joining us. This podcast was modified and produced by the prestigious editor, Gabriel Aguero. See you next week.